There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about um, America in 1945, in the immediate aftermath of the Second World War. Now, the reason I want to talk about this is that um, it's interesting enough to look at the course of the war and America's involvement and battles such as um, Midway or uh, the Battle for Normandy, uh, but the the dividend, the uh, outcome of the war, really is, I think, uh, far more significant to explore because it sees America with something like about 5% of the world's population, enriched by nearly half the world's wealth. And um, this is a situation which uh, continues throughout the 1950s and 60s, really until the kind of the great economic um, crises of the early 1970s. So America had seen an unprecedented um, shift of global wealth towards her during the Second World War, as it happened really during the First World War, but on a far greater scale. And um, she ushers in a period of prosperity which lasts for 25 years at least. And it's this prosperity that really drives the Western world um, through a, a long boom um, in the mid-century. The uh, affluence experienced by Britain uh, from 1954 onwards has got less to do with anything the British did and more to do with the fact that um, <clears throat> a vast global market um, in the guise of America um, exists. Now, much has been made of uh, post-war prosperity being the product of uh, market forces unleashed, um, the entrepreneurial spirit uh, of Americans, and the, the kind of sense of rugged individualism, the go-forth young man and conquer uh, spirit um, of the West. And when you get to uh, the mid-1960s with Ronald Reagan in California and then later in the 1970s, particularly says that you know, the problem is that government has grown too large and it is choking the individuality 
choking the, the um, entrepreneurial spirit out of Americans. Unfortunately for that analysis um, is the fact that an immense, um, immense part of the post-war boom was built upon state intervention. I'll talk about this in more depth in a moment, but um, the uh, GI Bill uh, that gave 3 million uh, former servicemen access to uh, college and university education and preside, presented uh, over 5 million former servicemen with cheap loans to set up businesses and um, very uh, low-cost mortgages and um, all manner of other um, inducements. The, this was state intervention at a level perhaps unforeseen, you know, perhaps inconceivable even at the height of the New Deal as kind of a, a vast um, government giveaway to men who had served. Uh, part of the reason for this is that um, there was a feeling that um, <clears throat> in an era that seemed to be now shaped firstly by fascism and then by communism, having large numbers of idle hands um, returning to America um, who had perhaps experienced the Great Depression firsthand, who had memories of things like the bonus marches. Um, these were people who you needed now to really reincorporate into the system and to reward um, their efforts um, and to create a sense of a, um, a homogenous and socially unified America. One where there was clearly some kind of social contract or some kind of quid pro quo with those that fought to defend democracy. They were therefore compensated in other ways. Even for people who hadn't served, the future was particularly rosy, courtesy of the state by 1945. And um, one way in which that manifests itself is the massive explosion in new housing developments across the USA. Uh, the growth of suburbia, which had been a phenomenon which had developed during the war, um, escalated uh, after 1945 for a number of reasons. Firstly, the, the Federal Housing Authority offered extremely low-cost mortgages to Americans in order to um, give them the opportunity to buy a first home. Uh, this influx of cheap money into the economy created uh, a housing boom and it created the right kinds of financial incentives for house builders to plough away and build vast uh, tracts of suburbia. Secondly, with rationing on petrol uh, lifted um, and the um, reinvigoration of the car industry once it was uh, the long production lines were no longer needed for the building of aircraft. Uh, the means to get to suburbia re-established themselves: cheap cars and cheap petrol, and new roads that linked um, the cities of the USA with these large suburban conurbations. And the development of suburbia after 1945, throughout the 1950s, had profound social. Um, implications. Firstly, what happens is a um, racial, unofficial segregation of the cities with uh, what is referred to by sociologists as the white flight, uh, with uh, wealthier 
middle class white families leaving um, the uh, inner city districts of places like New York or Los Angeles um, to new commuter um, set, uh, new commuter conurbations outside the city. They were the people who were able to get back and forth by car because they owned one. Um, and they uh, took with them the spending power that they had. They took with them the, kind of the cultural capital they had. And they took with them, in a sense, their own ethnicity, meaning that the white flight from uh, urban areas left the inner cities synonymous with ethnic minorities and all the kind of the racist connotations that were, went with that, that uh, inner city poverty was in some way linked to um, the ethnic minorities and these were people who were sort of in, inherently poor or lawless and the fact is that these were people who had been uh, economically disadvantaged by a, uh, an economically segregated society for a long, long time and it was uh, wealthier whites that chose to um, disassociate themselves uh, with um, uh, black and ethnic minority culture. And the suburbs are synonymous with whiteness, with um, and not just uh, generic whiteness, but generally white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism, uh, the uh, the waspish uh, whites who um, didn't particularly want Jewish neighbours and might not mind Catholic neighbours if if that had to be had to be tolerated. Uh, but certainly um, in the uh, wealthier suburbs uh, in the post-war era, um, there was a kind of a, cer a certain unspoken prejudice at the country club uh, about um, non-waspish uh, neighbours. Now, America's post-war prosperity is obviously um, based on some more simple and straightforward factors, the fact that America was not in any meaningful sense, uh, attack during the war. There was the odd uh, German submarine attack off the East Coast, and I think the Japanese sent an exploding uh, lantern, floated it across the Pacific. But other than that, virtually nothing at all. America wasn't invaded. And so the American experience of the war for um, American civilians was very, very different from that of Europe, most of Asia, and indeed the British Isles, which experienced heavy German bombing uh, from 1940 onwards. Um, the experience of the war for, for Americans, you know, when, when uh, bereavement, grief and loss is encountered, it is encountered by um, American families hearing about their sons, 400,000 or so Americans who died in the battlefield, and uh, this is normally in the in the form of a telegram or a visit from um, the army. So uh, the uh, by 1945, um, America has really only benefited from the war. It's the only country to have emerged from the war significantly wealthier than uh, when it entered. One of the main reasons for this is that America is the world's armourer, and banker and quartermaster throughout the war. Uh, the uh, USA, through the Lend-Lease program, which did not just incorporate Britain, but also France, China and other allied countries, uh, manages to um, keep 
um, the war effort going when it would certainly have collapsed in significant parts of Asia and Europe um, had it not been for the productive power of the USA. And the um, one of the criteria that uh, America stipulates over Britain is that um, it must drop its artificial protection of the pound and bring about full convertibility, meaning that when um, the British economy uh, slumped into um, austerity and crisis uh, between 1945 and about 1948, which are the real dark years of the British post-war economy, the um, Americans were able to have uh, to essentially undermine the pound, which really was not the most investable of currencies at that time, and insist on its full convertibility uh, in return for a loan that was given to Britain by uh, after um, hard negotiating by John Maynard Keynes in 1945. The Americans suspended the Lend-Lease programme two weeks after the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, And Harry Truman later came to view this as a mistake, but it plunged the British economy into crisis because the uh, vast amount of war material and loans from the USA that had been uh, offered during the war then had to be very quickly uh, repaid um, Britain still at that point had major overseas commitments, still a large overseas empire, and was now waging various proxy wars in places like Greece and Malaya. To- hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. ...to uh, fend off um, the advance of communism and was, of course, trying to establish a very expensive welfare state um, after 1945 as well. And so um, the... 
pressure on the pound was absolutely immense. And this, uh, this only benefits um, the US economy as the pound is finally replaced by the dollar as the world's reserve currency and the um, trade in most world uh, commodities, particularly oil, is done in US dollars. So it's ironic in the midst of all this prosperity that there were deep concerns among many Americans that the Great Depression Mark II was about to uh, establish itself. There was a fear that now that the um, war industries were uh, coming to an end, um, the, for example, in the aviation industry that boomed in California throughout the world, throughout the war, uh, slumps um, in 1945 when suddenly government orders come to an, an abrupt halt. Um, there is this um, huge anxiety that uh, another depression will emerge, but interestingly, it doesn't do. The uh, newfound prosperity that many Americans had enjoyed towards the end of the war actually seems to continue into the 1940s, into the late 1940s. However, by 1948-1949, there are still people, uh, many millions of Americans, who have bitter memories of the Great Depression, who are still incredibly parsimonious and um, careful with their money, and um, who are living really with the, the, the memories of the Depression and living with the legacy of that. And it takes a new generation uh, of uh, young people who were maybe children during the war or teenagers um, to step up and really um, create a consumer boom um, in America or allow that consumer boom that is developing anyway um, to be able to perpetuate itself. And the idea that America... Um, had become a consumer society, is uh, identified um, towards the end of the war uh, and into the 1940s. And um, ideas about consumerism um, develop, really, because of this, this period of time. Um, partly because the uh, ordinary American has greater access to um, uh, higher wages, credit and the ability to borrow, uh, leisure time in which to shop and spend money in, and a wider range of consumer choice than he's, I say he, he, they have ever, ever had before. It's an ex it's a, a kind of a, a revolutionary moment in uh, American social and cultural history. This explosion of choice. And as we've seen in previous podcasts I've done on uh, British um, post-war um, affluence in the 1960s, it has all sorts of uh, unintended and slightly revolutionary uh, consequences. Much is made of the development of teenage culture throughout this period. But if you look back to really the 1920s, you can see the emergence of something that you could call teenage culture. It's just that the term is finally coined after the Second World War. And the um, emergence of teenage culture was uh, accompanied by all sorts of um, various moral panics. There was a culture of trying to reinstill some sort of uh, conservatism. I say that with a small c, conservatism and, and order. After the disruptions, the social disruptions of the Second World War, 
for example, um, in the uh, states where there's segregation, um, racial segregation is uh, pursued once again with great vigour to make sure that black people who might have had some kind of social or economic advancement due to the war, working in munitions industries or working in the forces, um, knew their place once more. Um, the development of the, the re-establishment of the kind of the norms of the nuclear family um, were greatly greatly enhanced by the uh, the new affluence and the new experience of things like post-war suburban life, um, where women were as never before really expected to fulfil certain roles in child rearing and um, dom- domesticity. And this is where, really where our ideas, modern ideas of the notion of the housewife um, return, uh, emerge from. This is the period of time where that term is really uh, actually coined. Um, and it would be something that would take really two decades to finally have a kind of a, a, a coherent backlash against. But um, in the treatment of uh, young people, the development of things like rock and roll music um, throughout the 40s and and 50s um, was very often treated as uh, as a kind of like a a moral crisis. And there is um, a barely concealed racial subtext to it in that rock and roll music really is the uh, product of black rhythm and blues fused with um, uh, country folk music and um, the combination of the two started to develop, started to kind of lead to all manner of uh, racial transgressions, um, cultural racial transgressions uh, in the the eyes of a a largely segregated um, uh, America. Um, And there was an unspoken fear, or actually perhaps quite spoken fear, uh, among um, particularly in the southern states, that this might lead to um, all sorts of um, loose morality and uh, the possibility of white girls sleeping with black men, in essence. Um, so the uh, development—I mean, the development of rock and roll um, and teenage culture in general—is, um, as it normally is, far more tame and far more kind of innocent uh, than the uh, moral panickers uh, would imply. In films like The Wild One and Rebel Without a Cause um, were sensations part- largely because they weren't representative of the lives of most teenagers, um, largely because they were you know, fanciful depictions of youth in revolt. Where, why do we have this moral panic? Well, it's got to do with there being so many more young people around uh, than than ever before. Um, with this ex- from 1945 onwards, this demographic explosion with several million children being born, additional million children being born every year uh, up until uh, the late 1960s. So when you have large numbers of uh, or a, a large kind of boom uh, in the number of children being born, the number of teenagers um, existing, it has an unfortunate tendency to create all manner of um, kind of anxieties. 
It's interesting to note if you look at how uh, the media depicts um, what's happening in the Western world now. These baby boomers are reaching their sort of 60s and 70s. Uh, once again, we have a large demographic bubble of elderly people, and uh, this produces its own kinds of what are we going to do? Um, so, you know, demographics has a kind of a, an unconscious effect in many ways on shaping culture. The wave of euphoria that had gripped America at the end of the war, the sense of boundless possibilities, the sense that America was now the world's uh, greatest uh, military power and greatest economy, also has, um, it's also kind of destabilised um, by a number of, of events. The, this euphoria tends to kind of die off uh, by the late 1940s, um, firstly because of the um, anti-communist witch hunts and McCarthyism and the sense of, um, of fear uh, and anxiety about the changing world in which Americans lived not only because there was the possibility of um, there being uh, communists everywhere. Um, this is, was a widely held belief uh, in America. Um, the terms by which um, you know, what we understood to be communist was very, very broad at this period of time. People with broadly liberal views may well have been associated with that. And the, I mean, without going into a long tract about McCarthyism, which is a definitely a separate podcast um, the um, victimization of um, people accused of communism was born in many cases by a popular ignorance about what communism actually was and many Americans um, who were not particularly worldly on the subject of radical left politics viewed it as a sense of un-Americanness or uh, unpatrioticness, um, and the uh, in the development of the Taft-Hartley Act in 1947, which um, outlaws um, secondary striking and closed shop uh, union activities uh, because of a period of union unrest owing to growing inflation. Um, again, uh, shows that there is this uh, sense of um, conflict and a sense that um, the Cold War was uh, alarmingly close to home. Various spy scandals, such as the case of the Rosenbergs, the um, case of Alger Hiss, and also the um, developments in the, the wider Cold War, the Korean War, um, the announcement of the Truman Doctrine, the martial aid, the Berlin airlift, uh, all these have um, an effect on instilling this newly um, hyper-prosperous society with a deep-seated sense of anxiety and concern and, and worry, and um, particularly when events like the um, fall of China to communism occur in 1949 and the explosion, the detonation of the first Soviet atomic bomb, um, there are many Americans that look um, with a sense of bewilderment and terror outside, uh, out to a world that was so recently pacified by American military power, and they look at it with um, a, a, with a kind of a kind of a dread um, 
that it seem is is a place that seems to make no sense to them, um, which is perhaps why you get this very kind of co- confused and conflicted period um, after the end of the Second World War. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. Partly because um, we've got a new ebook coming out on the United States of America. Tyrell Eskelson has written for us the American Century. It should be uh, hot on your Kindles by about Christmas time, so look out for that. And um, yes, have a great week, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 